0: Hello there and welcome back to episode 13 of our F1 specials here at uh, Raw Sport. And this time we're going to be looking at the Styrian Grand Prix, a race that I think sort of switched around with France. Everyone was expecting a, um, an exciting Styria and then a non-exciting France. But looks like we got it the other way around in what was quite a fairly, fairly standard race for the grid. Verstappen, again, increasing his points tally over Hamilton. Leclerc coming back through the field and Bottas returning to the podium. But obviously, I can't do this on my own, so I need a guest with me. And returning to the show from last week, it is Cam Hall. How are you doing, Cam?
1: It's fantastic to be here. Um, can I say, of course, firstly, th- episode 13, unlucky for some, hopefully not for us. And also last year as well, um, obviously, we had the two race in Austria, the Styrian Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix. The Styrian Grand Prix was decidedly, a lot worse than the Austrian Grand Prix last year. And, of course, obviously this year they switched it around from the order in 2020. So I'm hoping this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix is going to live up to the occasion and all the hype that we have been giving it beforehand because it is a track that deserves good racing and a lot of hype. So hopefully this weekend shows that.
0: I mean, yeah, we saw the wet qualifying hysteria. Maybe we'll see a wet qualifying Austria this week. But what I'll do is I will run through the results for everyone um, listening, and obviously we're getting started with the recap. So in first of was Verstappen, second was Hamilton, third was Bottas, fourth Perez, fifth Norris, sixth Saint, seventh Leclerc, eighth Strolls, ninth Alonso, and 10th was Yuki Tsunoda. And that obviously rounds out the points. I mean, I'll come, yeah, it was fairly standard result. And there weren't really any surprises up and down the field, were there?
1: Not at all. I, I mean, Max Verstappen victory has been pretty much the way it's been for the last couple of races. This was his most complete and most resolute performance, I would say, of the season. He didn't look like it. Obviously, where in France, he made that mistake at the start and he obviously caught it back after the first stint. There was no point in this race where Max Verstappen looked like he was not in control of that. And Mercedes must be having so many jitters at the moment looking at this season because that Red Bull seems to be getting quicker and quicker. The gap seems to be getting further and further away from Mercedes and Mercedes can't really seem to be doing anything about it. Brilliant drive from Verstappen. I think he has really cemented himself now as the favourite to take the title this season and it's going to take an effort from Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton to get back into it.
0: No, yeah, you mentioned that. I mean, it, like Verstappen, it just seems he's on another level at the moment. He seems to, I'd say he's probably still on the same level as Hamilton, like driver-wise, but obviously I think he does have the better car at this point. So there's not really much Hamilton can do to bring it back. He never really looked like he was getting back into the fight. He was running in a solid second, but that's arguably the best he could have done that race.
1: Yeah, probably. And the thing is, Lewis, he said it after on the radio after the race, there's literally nothing more that I could have done. And that, that's the thing. Mercedes, I think, are scratching their heads at the moment, trying to work out how they can possibly just find that little bit more from the car. Red Bull obviously had the fastest car in testing. We've got to remember that. But Mercedes seemed to get the race package together at the start of the season. But mid-season development has always been Red Bull's greatest strength in Formula One. And we're seeing it even this early on. They're already starting to pull away further from Mercedes and use that development to their advantage. What are we? We're we only at race eight at the moment. I hate to think what the gap could possibly be after the summer break going into the second half of the season because if they keep on developing like this, I think there's a chance where both Red Bull drivers could potentially become just completely unreachable.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. <coughs> it's going around, here. mate. It's going around. <laughs> it's caught my throat. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned development. <laughs> You mentioned development, and obviously, Total Wolf after the race was saying that their car isn't going to be developed anymore. They think looking forward to twenty twenty two. But then James Allison during the week says that they are going to bring, be bringing packages. It does seem a bit odd that they'd have different messages like after the race and then during the week. And I don't know, or what do you think is the correct one? Because personally, I think they have to start bringing some upgrades to the race because they can't afford to lose.
1: Some of it's psychological. I think I think that's part of it. The statements that will be going to the press, the confusing statements will be very deliberate because I think they're, tr- they're going to be trying to keep Red Bull back a little bit from trying to work out what's going on. And so I think having that lack of clarity, it's seeing if anyone or it influences any decision making at Red Bull, I think is going to be interesting. I, I think Mercedes will do some development. Now, whether that's true to say that they're not going to develop as much as they normally would. 2022 is a big set of changes. We know Mercedes will have a plan in place to make sure that they're staying on top of everything. But I think the experience of this year, perhaps, and the fact that we don't know if Mercedes had already started putting stuff into 22, but the experience of this year and falling behind Red Bull with, let's face it, weren't revolutionary regulation changes. Mercedes were thinking they probably would have been out front this season. So I think the experience they have might have ruffled a few feathers there in terms of how they go about their development this season, but potentially also how much time they reckon they need to put into the car next season. So I I can't really tell at the moment. I do think there will be upgrades from Mercedes. I think what will be interesting to see is when we get to Belgium, when we get to Italy, when we get to after the summer break, is whether Mercedes start giving out signals that what they're taking there is the final upgrade of the season. Because you'd imagine after sort of, Spa, Zandvoort, and Monza, if you're putting all your energy into 22, you're not going to bring any more upgrades to the races after that, and you're going to leave whatever state your car is after Monza to the final flyaways. But say if there are upgrades by the time we get to Suzuka, to for example, then clearly Mercedes will still be trying to go for it. Clearly they're not sandbagging this season. Clearly they're not going to throw it under the rug. So... Yeah, mixed messages at the moment, but that's not... And I think on that point of development, I think it is, as I said, going to be more interesting to see what happens after the summer break as to how much we know both teams have developed their cuts.
0: I mean, you could also say that this affects Red Bull as well, because if they're as far ahead as they seem to be at the moment, they might cease development, and just put their eggs in the 2022 basket and possibly um, it might think that... They've got such a dominant advantage that they're gonna sacrifice um a few races later on in the season with the hope that they've done enough early on in the season to secure their title and probably Max Verstappen's first.
1: Well, it's the ultimate prisoners dilemma, isn't it? That you you you're independent of the arrival, but you're totally independent with them in terms of how you develop your car. And Rebel have made this mistake before, and Red Rebel will be conscious of this in 2013 when the season was really tight in the first half of the season, Red Bull put so much emphasis upon developing that car to get that four straight drivers and constructors championship that by the time they got to testing in 2014, they had fallen behind both in the engine department in terms of Mercedes and Ferrari in 2014, but crucially, the car as well had slipped back behind Mercedes come the start of 2014. And so I think that experience will be weighing upon their minds Clearly, I think one of the things with the Red Bull team is we know, obviously, they take control of their powertrain next season, and there's been a real emphasis upon Red Bull of really getting that operation underway and showing the paddock as well, that our engine operation's underway. We've got the same resources as we've been having with Honda this season, which arguably has produced the best engine on the grid this year. We're going to be completely unstoppable in that department, and the team that do our chassis, you know, have consistently been producing very, very good cars over the years, so... I feel Red Bull will be confident that they can continue their development this season and have enough spare for next season, especially, as I said as well, Red Bull's greatest strength in the last decade has been their mid-season development. So even if they don't necessarily turn up with the best car in 2022, they know they can finish the season with the best car. So I think that will be something that will be sort of weighing on their mind as well. I do expect Red Bull to develop further into this season. I think, especially as they haven't won the championship in eight years as well, they'll want to win that championship. I think it's more important for them to win a championship than to save the car for 2022. Whereas for Mercedes, I think it's more, you, they could protect, they wouldn't want to forego it. But given how much they have won and given how much they want to sort of keep that legacy of Mercedes dominance going, I wouldn't be surprised if they were more inclined. To put more into twenty twenty two,
0: yeah, it could be a case of uh, losing the battle and winning the war in the long term, I guess. But obviously, you can't really separate um, Mercedes and Red Bull at the moment, and you can't really separate the second drivers as well. Um, Bottas returning to the podium, Perez almost catching Bottas right at the end in what was sort of the only like um, top table battle that we had. I think we, I think that was always the recognition. That as soon as Perez got behind Bottas, obviously a slow stop, uncharacteristic of Red Bull, that he was going to struggle to get past, and then ultimately he didn't. He didn't manage to.
1: Once again, the thought of Valtteri Bottas complaining over the radio to Mercedes about not doing a two-stop strategy, it would have been, it would have been such a fascinating kind of deja vu if that had happened all over again for Mercedes. And again, I think James Vowles and the team at Mercedes are going to have to kind of look at this and the fact they have. For save a poor pit stop from Red Bull, being outfoxed on them with bottom strategy on their second drivers in the past few races, and potentially as well, Mercedes got lucky that they could have got Lewis Hamilton that extra point for fastest lap if Red Bull didn't have the slow stop and Perez could have got past Bottas earlier. Lewis Hamilton might not have had the gap he needed to go for that fastest lap. So I think Mercedes really can count themselves lucky there. Again, Perez showing the importance of the way he does tire management. So crucial to being able to get the most out of the tires for longer and being able to run those two-stop strategies where they know that the way that Perez controls the tires means that he can be a bit more aggressive with them and go with these strategies. So that was a fantastic move again from Red Bull. Bottas just drove a typical Valtteri Bottas race really. There's, you know, he he was there, he was driving, he did what he needed to do. This time he got a podium instead of finishing just off it. I don't think there's anything more I can say really about that apart from the fact that mercedes do need to look at their strategy and they do need to sit down and work out how they don't risk getting out fox by red bull on these two-stop strategies again
0: i mean i think the only problem possibly with this race especially it was is that the strategy was very like set in stone it was very one-stop race and then perez probably pitted a few laps or did in fact pit a few laps too late to get bottas in the end but as you say they do need to think about these things but to be honest, I'm not really sure what they could have done. The undercut seemed quite, quite powerful. And Perez would have probably come out ahead of Bottas, even if they had only pitted one that later. Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, the strategy, as you said, it was a, has always been a one-stop race. That track has never been necessarily the hardest on the tires. So I think for the drivers, it was, they were always expecting that. I think where you get these two stops is when you have drivers like Perez, who can make the most out of the tires, for the amount of times that he can. So, yeah, I think I think Red Bull probably, if they had done a few laps earlier, probably would have got past Bottas. And I think that probably says potentially as much about the Red Bull strategist as it does the Mercedes strategist, potentially. But again, with Red Bull, because of the fact that they have that second driver now who can fight out front and can fight with the Mercedes second driver, it's given them a lot more options this season to try these kind of things out. And I think that, that, I think, is also another problem for Mercedes. Mercedes haven't had that problem in the last couple of seasons. They didn't really have it, I would say, when Vettel was fighting with Lewis for the Championship because, yeah, Kimi and Bottas were sort of on a similar level, but Bottas did always tend to have that edge over Kimi. We haven't had it the last couple of seasons because Red Bull haven't had that second driver. Now Red Bull have that second driver who is on a level and potentially better, I would say, than Valtteri Bottas then these strategies are coming more into play and I I don't necessarily think Mercedes have quite prepared themselves for that yet.
0: No and it could matter a bit more this weekend because obviously they're bringing a step softer tyres and as we all know Perez can make tyres last till the end of time. I mean there isn't really much else to say it was fairly standard race at the front but in the midfield it was a bit more interesting. Um, I guess what I'll do is just read out the midfield again quickly norris science declare and yeah that's fun then we got like stroll stroll alonso and snyder but they're sort of a bit lower down but uh, once again lando norris top five again only driver to score points at every race and i think top five in every race except one if i'm not mistaken
1: that and as i said last week that's the reason that mclaren are currently ahead of ferrari in the constructors championship because nando norris you got to remember as well currently ahead of Valtteri Bottas in the Drivers' Championship as well. And one of the reasons that he's scoring all these points for McLaren, especially where Daniel Ricciardo isn't getting the results out of that car that he should be, is that he's just got that consistency on race day to just keep getting those results. Uh, Constantly at the top of the midfield, constantly being able to hold off challenges. He didn't have, admittedly, the challenge from Carlos Sainz and potentially Charles Leclerc would have come very, very late and didn't, wasn't really enough to challenge him too much in this race. But the fact is that Lando Norris is getting that McLaren into good places. He's always done well at this track, Lando. But this weekend, I thought, again, getting the car in third, knowing as well when to fight against the front runners, he knew that that wasn't his race. He didn't want to wreck the tyres there. And he was just getting those points for McLaren. And at the end of the day, McLaren being third in the constructors at the moment, especially with one of their drivers underperforming, is solely down to just that consistency that Lando Norris is putting up, and eventually, if McLaren, if he can get a championship-winning car next year or a car that could at least capable of winning races next year, then this vein of form from Lando Norris at the moment, which I think we're really starting to see now, just why so many people have talked up Lando Norris throughout his career, because if this continues, then you know here, this is someone with the potential to win world championships. We talk about George Russell as the next upcoming British star, but I genuinely think Lando Norris could easily win a world championship if you give him the right car, and he drives like he is at the moment.
0: No, yeah, you mentioned that. I've always felt like Lando Norris was sort of a bit underrated in a way. Sort of, you've got your Verstappen, you've got the potential of your George Russell, you've got your Charles Leclerc, and then sort of a bit lower down, you sort of had Lando Norris sort of occupying his own, little area and I think that this season is really showing that he probably is up there with the best and if he did get a championship winning car in 2022 he would have actually have a really good chance of winning it
1: yeah I mean we the thing I think with Vando Norris is that he has always been seen as McLaren's next hot prospect he's the one that McLaren have brought through is the kind of a the replacement for Lewis Hamilton is the number one driver, but where Lewis Hamilton was always conceived of as this next rising star in Formula One, you know he'd won everything that you could possibly win in the junior categories. Lando Norris hasn't had quite that level of success. He only came second in to George Russell in F2. He had good success in Formula Renault, but nothing that was necessarily, you know, that didn't necessarily scream next Formula One world champion. He didn't have maybe the glittering career. That Charles Leclerc had for example in his junior career so I think the thing with Lando Norris is that he's always been seen as the McLaren number one more than anything else but I think this season in particular I think he's really used that time his first two seasons were crucial for building him into the team and I think that dynamic with Carlos Sainz I think really helped him get a foothold in Formula One build up a fan base and really I think gets himself used to the operation so now he's leading the team he's got Daniel Ricciardo arguably more of a challenge in Carlos signs, but not Ricciardo himself not necessarily getting the best out of the car but Lando Norris has just completely I think worked really using his team effectively he's had that time to bed himself in and he knows how to get him the best out of both himself and the car and we're seeing now that potential that we've saw, always seen in the junior category him we're seeing him going beyond that now. And he is a driver, I think, with a really good profile both on and off the track, which I think always helps his profile as well. He is a very good driver, and I think he needs to be talked up more in the conversation because, again, McLaren, I think, haven't had they haven't always had the best car in the last few seasons. Only really this season and last season, I would say, they've got that car now that can be more consistent getting up in the fights for the podium. But more performances like this from Lando Norris, I think, is exactly what he needs to be doing. And again, when the challenges come, when he has that race-winning car, when he has a car that could fight for championships, if he keeps driving like this, it wouldn't surprise anyone if he won one.
0: I mean, he's also quite a unique driver in a way, just because of the amount of like social media presence he has. Like, he's got his Quadrant um, Racing team. He makes the Quadrant videos. He's active on like Instagram, Twitter. I guess maybe there's almost the way that we know too much about him. So like. As we can say that a Verstappen, a Leclerc, a Russell aren't really as exposed to like the general public as uh, a Lando Norris, so we know what to expect from Norris. Where, where as there's an air of unpredictability about those other three drivers, perhaps
1: I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say it's that. I think what I'd say with Lando Norris is that he's made more of an effort. I would say to maybe reach out to more of the sort of the grassroots F1 community, a lot of the content creators, a lot of the gamers, who are very much the lifebloods of a lot of the F1 community now. And Lando Norris has always been someone who's been willing to really reach out to them. And that's not to say the other drivers haven't. Charles Leclerc is someone who's also made that real concerted effort as well. So I think the thing with with Lando Norris is that I think he's always been a lot more comfortable with the slightly more kind of cheekier public off-track persona and that's not to take anything away from his um, on-track performances I think there are actually some people who would have said until this season that that off-track sort of nature that Lando Norris has is holding him back from being a Russell or Leclerc and a Verstappen someone who is totally focused on the track and getting the most out of the car but I think what Lando Norris is showing this season is that you can actually you can easily do both and Lando's talked about that kind of focus he has when he's in the car. That When he's in the car, all of the kind of the off-track kind of tomfoolery, that stays behind. He's f- solely focused on getting that win that he needs or getting the points that he needs. And I think that, at the end of the day, is the most important thing. You've got to learn to work hard and play hard. And Lando Norris does both of that. And uh, that, I think, is making him, I'd say, more of perhaps a complete F1 driver, maybe, than Russell Verstappen. And and Leclerc, maybe he won't have all of the championships nor of the race wins that they have, but I feel he's started. He is potentially more of a complete driver on and off the track as well, and he's still going to be successful. Let's not forget that as well. He will be a successful F1 driver if he keeps driving like this.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like he's going to be that Mister Consistent in the future, where mm. as Russell and like Verstappen and Leclerc are picking up wins, but then perhaps also crashing, also making mistakes. Lando Norris is always going to be there in like the second, the third, and just picking up those points. And that could be what um, wins in the title. I think he did it in F2. As far as I can remember, he only won one race. I think it was the first race of the season. But yeah. He was, I, still, he was still in the title fight up until the end just because he was mm. so consistent.
1: Yeah. I mean, George Russell, I mean, deservedly won that season based upon the, the amount of wins that he had. But yes, Lando Norris was consistent. And at the end of the day, consistency goes a long way in Formula 1, It, especially when you're in the midfield, and it's all about picking up those points and taking those opportunities that you get. Lando's not missed one opportunity that's been presented to him this season, and that's why he is so high in the standings. That's why McLaren is so high in the standings as well.
0: Yeah, but you mentioned another driver who was um, always up for a bit of an online race with... Whoever whoever wanted one, Charles Leclerc, and well, I guess all well, Ferrari in total. So, so, science very solid performance, just sort of coming through the field. Leclerc definitely coming through the field after his incident with Gasly at turn one sort of what was it? Oh, he clipped across Gasly's uh, rear tyre, giving Gasly a puncture, and um, which put him out of the race, and giving Leclerc um, a front wing damage that he needed to recover from. I mean, I'd say very good performance from Ferrari, to be completely honest.
1: Yeah definitely I mean firstly just on that incident a complete first lap racing incident I couldn't see it anywhere else I just think it was two drivers who weren't watching where they were going and yeah obviously Gasly came off worse out of that and again it's not the first time this season that Pierre Gasly has befallen a similar fate obviously he had um, the lost his front wing in Bahrain that very much took him out of a potentially good points finish there this time I think decidedly less his fault just being the nature of a racing incident but Luckily for Charles Leclerc this time, he was able to repair the front wing and really just put in that performance that he needed. Some of the overtakes that Leclerc was pulling off was fantastic in this race, and it always shows to me why I personally do think Leclerc is the best driver um, beyond um, Hamilton and Verstappen on the grid. That race I think kind of proved exactly why he is. He gets those overtakes done in cars that aren't always the we often say aren't the easiest to overtake in as well those sorts of drives are the sorts of things that are going to make Charles Leclerc a multiple time world champion of the future. Carlos Sainz, again, consistent, doing what he needed to do in that Ferrari, especially when Charles Leclerc, the, the number one, the person leading the team, wasn't there to pick up the points. And again, he could easily, if he had a few more laps, I reckon he could have got to Lando Norris by the end of the race. So a strong performance there from Sainz. And I think really with Leclerc coming up the field as well, I don't think there's much Ferrari could have asked for, especially after the disaster for them that
0: was paul ricard yeah it's a very very different result than what they had in paul ricard i mean i don't why why would that be i mean tires maybe
1: well tire wear and degradation is not as much of an issue at the red bull ring as it is in paul ricard even though it's just as hot which i I i think some of that i think is down to the nature of the track I think as well with you don't have necessarily the lot really long straights and the drag that you get um within Paul Ricard. Obviously, some of the cornering as well, you've got that nicer kind of mix of corners at the Red Bull Ring than you do at Paul Ricard. But I think regardless, I think it was just that Ferrari, I don't know if they had brought some parts because they, they had said they were going to try and bring some parts to the Red Bull Ring. I don't know if they were able to get those parts there and potentially do better with the tyres. But yeah, it it was a much better weekend, I think, for Ferrari overall. And I think given the fact that they haven't always turned some very good qualifyings into solid races this season, I think to have a weekend like that, where despite everything that happened on lap one as well, I think Ferrari will be happy with this.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I'm bringing it back in the Constructors' Championship a bit with uh, McLaren. And that's definitely another, that's the other battle the really massive of the battle for third place and the constructors between two manufacturers who both will both have had tough periods obviously ferrari weren't that great last season mclaren have had a tough period from 2013 onwards and it's good to good to see them back fighting relatively like near the front if they can't be at the front
1: yeah absolutely and i think mclaren and ferrari are two teams that we'll probably will see at the front again i think sometime in the next decade Very much in this kind of, I think, I wouldn't say rebuilding. I feel both teams, I think, have kind of had the most major rebuild, perhaps. Obviously, Ferrari had a difficult time last year. I'd say they're coming out of their sort of mini winter rebuild at the moment. I think obviously McLaren, I think sort of 2019, 2020, really building back. And I think we're starting to see both these teams now kind of give us glimpses, I think, of what we could start to look forward to from them next year. Especially as both teams, I think, have two of the strongest driver lineups on the grid as well. So that is when everything is in working in fine form, they are going to be very exciting.
0: Yeah, and then we finally had Stroll Stroll, Alonso, and Tsunoda to around at the top ten, all relatively close together, but partly because of one man who was in eighth place at the start of the race, but then oh, lost, lost I, it all. George Russell. I, I mean, feel can, what so. What can so... he do? What can he do? I feel
1: so sorry for him, honestly, because now George Russell has, by his own account, and he will say this, he has made mistakes that have cost him his points for hit points finishes for Williams. Imola last year being the most obvious example, where he would have scored points if he didn't crash the car behind the safety car, and also Imola again this year. Arguably, he's got a problem with scoring, getting into good positions in Imola. And throwing it away. I I don't know what it was there. But yeah, George Russell had a very good chance. And this was totally all created through merit. He didn't have incidents or weather to really give him that opportunity. Neither did he have driving a Mercedes to help him in this time. Qualified 11th, probably should have got into the top 10 as well. Really drove that Williams really far beyond where it deserves to be. And just put in some fantastic laps in qualifying for his best dry qualifying performance, his best qualifying performance in a Williams, arguably I would say his best in Formula One on Saturday, and then got a good start during the race and was just driving so well. Didn't put a foot wrong on Sunday. And then, you know, of all the times to have a mechanical failure, that is not the time to have it. And I could just see him when they started to um, put the cooler, uh, the cooler fluid into the car. I was just having my head in my hands because I was like of all the times where bad luck can strike and for all the drivers for them to strike, not George Russell. Like that was, I feel this guy needs to catch a break at some point in the Williams. Cause the thing is he's getting himself into these good performances. And this time it was through no fault of his own that he lost out. That first point is coming. I'm just, I just hope that it doesn't, that he or the car doesn't let him down again because i there is a fear that he is just going to become a nearly man and if if you do give him that chance the mercedes i don't know if there is some bad luck following him him around where he's just going to become a nearly man for all of his time in formula one and i i'm not sure george russell with a driver of his quality and his potential i don't think quite deserves that title
0: I mean, I think I mentioned last week. I do think that once one point comes, then there will start to will start to flow because mm. I think it does seem to be for both Russell and Williams, especially, it does seem to be a bit almost not a confidence thing, but almost like as soon as you get one, you get you get in the rhythm of it and you get up there, you get those points And they, I mean, not to put down Nicholas Latifi, but it really shows that. No, I think Latifi. He, he
1: well, no, he, I'm agreeing with you. He's not a. George Russell has completely showed him up and last weekend in particular just showed Latifi up so much that, you know, he's not considering if this is what George Russell can do with the car and Latifi can barely get out of Q1, it it, 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 it just isn't a good, good, sp- good space for Williams, really, I would say. I think,
0: I think the only problem you probably have is I don't think Latifi is a terrible driver. I don't think he's brilliant. He's not good in the wet. I think he would admit that. But I think you just, yeah. it just shows the difference between a good driver and a really, really good driver is what's going on.
1: To be honest, the Teefee never impressed me when he was in F2. He was, you know, the, the fact he came second in 2019 with a field that was okay, was nothing spectacular, or as many drivers who were going to come into the shells really or come out of them in 2020 and be joined by a strong F3 crowd. If he was in that F2 crowd last season, the Teefee, I don't think he would have been anywhere near the title fight. And so I think he just, he, again, okay, he took his luck in 2019 to come second and then get himself the race seat for 2020. He's got the financial backing as well, which, you know, for a team like Williams, who have been struggling for money, that's all good to have. But at the end of the day, when you've got one driver completely showing him up, I, I, I think it was for his confidence more than anything. I don't think it's going to be doing him any good. So I don't know if there's a way that Ms. Williams can get more out of Latifi or maybe or maybe Russell is just completely out-driving the car in a way that Claire was the Ferrari last season, but we saw the impact that had on Vettel and his driving. So, yeah, I do, think, I do think we need more from Latifi. If this is what Russell can do with the car, Latifi does need more to justify himself, more for the sake as well he's not lumped with the pay driver label because obviously he has benefited a lot from his financial backing, but I don't think he wants to be in F1 just because of the money. I think he wants to show that he can be there on merit as well, and I think he's risking falling into that trap.
0: I think, yeah, I would agree. But I mean, Williams only really need a few points. They only need a few points this season. If they could be, I think they'd be delighted if they could be Alpha Romeo. Oh, sorry. They'd be they
1: they they'd be delighted. But I think looking ahead to the future as well, potentially, because Williams do have juniors. Admittedly, nowhere near the developed program of many of the other teams, but. I, d- I do feel like they they, they just need, if they, especially if they do get a better midfield car next season, the T F is going to be holding them back. And I don't know, maybe he'll surprise me. Maybe we he hasn't had the car and the time yet to show off just how good he is. But there's nothing there compared to George Russell that gives me inspiration.
0: Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen, especially, obviously, just because next year is such a such a new year it's almost going to be just a reset and maybe we'll see drivers that aren't as good now get better i mean Mazepin
1: for, t- for the title is that what we're saying yeah, then yeah,
0: Maz- Mazepin <laughs> to win the title i think that sort of sort of wraps it up what i'll do is i'll just run through the driver's standings now so Verstappen still in first on 156 Hamilton on 138 Perez 96 Norris on 86 Bottas 74 Leclerc 58 Sainz 50 Gasly 37 ricardo 34 and vettel on 30 it was really easy making that graphic because no one switched positions this week (laughs) it was much much better than azerbaijan where i think the entire grid decided to bounce up and down and it took me about half an hour
1: falling falling into some form of normality now i feel i i I don't know is it a sign of a boring race when the when the standings don't really change a lot after no no real massive shocks
0: I think I think it has to be a boring race. If, if the standings don't if my job is if the job of making the graphics is boring, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to search for things to talk about as opposed to having them be really obvious. But that wasn't the only news that's that has happened in the last week. We have finally, finally reached the end of Sochi. And I think no one is unhappy about that. I mean, Cam, do you wanna run do you wanna run through what's happening?
1: So, yeah, um, Sochi, which I know is the, the favourite track of um, many, many Formula One fans, many former Raw Sport contributors have in the past expressed their love for this circuit, which for anyone who doesn't know, um, if you thought the Netherlands was flat, then, then Sochi is a completely different level of flat, literally built around the Olympic Park circuit, literally. The, the, the one redeeming grace, perhaps, a long straight into turn one, which is actually a very good overtaking opportunity. And then also that nice sort of turn three, sort of a almost a bit like a turn eight of Turkey, but one long apex rather than four kind of little apexes throughout the corner. is a fun technical challenge for the drivers. But what is very much presented as this kind of tight, twisty technical challenge is just a track of sort of 90 rights and 90 lefts, particularly the final sector. It's a track that really doesn't inspire much good racing. It's really difficult to sort of follow throughout that circuit, particularly the final sector and going into the straight in sector two as well. So, yeah, it's a track, it's fair to say, that has not had the love of the drivers and the fans, indeed many people in Formula One over the years. But we are now going in 2023 we're going to be moving from sochi up to st petersburg um more specifically to the another ski resort of agora this time except this ski resort is actually a ski resort and not one on the black sea where they have to import fake snow every year because they don't have any but this time so this time it's an actual ski resort an hour outside st petersburg the track is agora drive um it is recently it broke ground in 2017 completed in 2019 um, the track was literally opened in March 2020. So in terms of previous racing in other categories, we've not been blessed with it. We've had kind of a few kind of Russian supercar championships there in the past. We know DTM, I think, are set to start racing in Gora Drive this year. And Formula One was, I think, always the one that um, what they wanted to go for. Um, it's a track designed by the familiar face of um, Herman Tilke, who um, has, again, this track has, again, some of the sort of the features you'd expect um, of a Herman Tilke track, long straight into a braking zone, um, some kind of tight radius corners. Um, again, some of the kind of the various things you'd expect from a Herman Tilke circuit, but also some things kind of, I'd say a little bit different as well. It's quite wide, again, like most Tilke tracks, but it doesn't necessarily, there's a lot of good elevation changes that again, Tilke, again, he uses them very well, but it's not necessarily the same kind of S's, corner complexes we used to other tracks. For example, you can tell before I did this video, I watched a whole video on the hallmarks of um, there's a good video, a chamber video. I suggest you watch yeah, it on um, yeah, to anyone who hasn't watched it on the standard characteristics of a tilka track. So you can kind of fit Agora drive within this. Um, yeah, as a lap, it's now from what I have seen, and this I've seen has caused controversy. Um, race fans, um, a few days ago put out a, a article which suggested that what they've got at the moment. Is um, so it's a four point one kilometer circuit. They're potentially extend, or they're going to potentially expand the final sector of the track out for an extra kilometer. Which kind of for the last sector is kind of this flowing left hander into a sort of a nice right left, which really I think sets the cars up well going into the main straight to make an overtake into turn one. They are going to, and my first reaction was it kind of looks like the final sector of Barcelona in reverse, almost which i think is certainly it's an interesting change that they've made i think a few people have expressed concern that because it does it is a bit clunkier a bit more kind of the radiuses of the corners are certainly a lot clunkier and a lot more kind of 90 degree um left right rather than the sort of the more flowing corners that you get throughout the rest of the track so i think it's going to be interesting um i'm optimistic though i think anything can be better than sochi I think there's a lot more overtaking opportunities. I think the drivers, crucially, are going to enjoy driving this a lot more because it has some of those challenges of a Tilka circuit. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think I'm, I I want to see a bit more about that final sector because I'm not necessarily sure it's been confirmed yet. That's just from what we have read from race fans. But, yeah,
0: it should be a good track, Agora Drive. No, yeah, I mean anything's better than Sochi I think that's the the general sentiment I think of everyone because it seemed to come a bit out of nowhere I'm not sure there was really the expectation that Sochi would be replaced because I mean money talks and they seem to be paying them quite a bit to go to Sochi so I mean I was quite surprised to see um to see it go to Agora Drive and then Sochi.
1: There's a lot of things that play into this. Um, Sochi um, has, it was a place that really wasn't on the map anywhere until it got the Winter Olympics in 2014. Again, the idea of Sochi getting the Winter Olympics when it's a ski resort that has to get s- s- fake snow imported in every year. Still blows my mind. But um, yeah, of course, there's a lot of things with Sochi. Again, are interesting to consider. Obviously, the economic tourism on the Black Sea is something the Russians are always wanting to promote. Um, the fact that um, one of Vladimir Putin's summer resorts also happens to be in Sochi as well. I'm not saying there's any coincidence there, but I know that's something that a lot of um, the F1 community have said in the past. Of course, St. Petersburg, I think one of the things a lot of people are saying with moving the race to St. Petersburg is politically, it's again, it does, yeah, sure, it moves, kind of moves you away from the tourism and I guess the marketing that Sochi has had. But again, really, since the Winter Olympics, the only thing that's really been fully marketed in Sochi was the World Cup, which was across all of Russia anyway, and also, and obviously, the Grand Prix. But St. Petersburg is a lot more accessible than Sochi. You can actually fly directly to St. Petersburg from most of Europe, where, of course, where most of the teams, the fans are based. You can't do that with Sochi. Um, as a city as well, It's most people know St. Petersburg. They know where it is. And I think as well, in terms of just loads of other factors, the racing as well, hopefully, should be better on the track. And then finally, as well, actually just one last thing in terms of the climate as well, because obviously the climate in Sochi being on the sort of Black Sea resort isn't always the most changeable. Moving it up to St. Petersburg, I think what will be interesting to see is when they put the race, because with Sochi, you can't you can afford to put the race April, October time. You don't have to put it in the middle of summer like you have to do in some of the more temperate climates of northern Europe. Now with St. Petersburg, you have to consider it along the more temperate climates of Northern Europe because it's going to be too cold to host a race outside that time. So do they stick it in the middle of the summer? Do they put it for like early May? Do they put it for the late kind of September period? It's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, I think there's a Sochi I kind of think has had its moment within kind of Russian tourism and sort of its significance as kind of like a destination. I feel St. Petersburg, I feel as well as a city, that I think the, the, there's a lot of investment going into that as well and a lot of attempts, I think particularly since the World Cup, to kind of show off a lot of Russia and show off different parts of it for different things. So I think going back to St. Petersburg, I think makes a lot of sense for Formula One.
0: Yeah, my, I mean, my first idea was that they would put it after Hungary, which sort of makes sense. I think mm. it's got quite... It's like like culturally sort of linked a bit more like you're looking at your post like USSR countries, then it's a bit easier to get to saves saves on travel and then maybe just go into the summer break after after an Agora drive race. And I think that it really shows a difference between pre Bernie Ecclestone and post Bernie Ecclestone with Liberty Media, who do seem to be trying to make changes to the calendar to make it a better, better like season overall obviously they're making changes to abu dhabi or another race that has been like much aligned in the past they're moving away from sochi they probably got did get a bit lucky with paul ricard being such a good race this year but i do think they seem to be Anticipating that they'll make changes, Paul Ricard. It's not like they've not got the options. There's about 100 million (laughs) different, different configurations there.
1: Numbers on a postcard, please, because I'm not even sure the track designers know how many different layouts they have at Paul Ricard.
0: But yeah, but it does seem that Liberty Media do want to make. We always refer to it as the spectacle, but ultimately, the spectacle is the racing. And if the racing gets better, then everyone's happy.
1: They are. And I've I've always credited Liberty Media for, I think, some of the work that they have done, certainly in terms of, I think, making the sport more accessible. And I think through the way that they're using the calendar, I think that's a a good thing. But personally, I still think Liberty needs to go further. There are some very obvious gaps that Liberty still have in the schedule that I think appeals to both the to the more global racing fan, which is, of course, a, a race at Kyle Army which is a ready-made circuit that all they have to do is upgrade the facilities from a grade two to a grade one standard because the tracks already at a grade one standard. So all they have to do is just change that. And then we can have a race on every continent and we can properly call it a world championship. Um, They need to also try, I think tend to some of the more traditional races as well. In Formula One, I know they're bringing in a lot of these kind of these more destination race model things like we're seeing with Miami. And we know that that's something that has been really successful in bringing Formula One to markets like Singapore But I do think you can't necessarily move away from the tradition. And there are some great tracks, tracks like um, Hockenheim, for example, the Nürburgring, two tracks. So I I still find it difficult to imagine that you have not having a Formula One race in Germany. And uh, we know this week that F1 are sort of back in talks, potentially with Audi and Porsche. Coming back into F1 in 2025 is a race in Germany, potentially something that will pull them in. Who knows? I think it'll be interesting to see because certainly them bringing Zamvort back onto the calendar is encouraging. I think that's a sort of a step in the right direction. The Liberty have made to so appeal to the different, all the different types of F one fan. Because yeah, there are some who are newer in and they like kind of the more flashy spectacle side of Formula One. There will be always be the racing purist that likes the challenge of the old school circuits. So you've got to cater to all sorts of fan, of course. But I think there are just a few things that Liberty can do to really maximise that appeal. And I feel this will be a debate that rages on forever. You know, can you have an alternating calendar every year? You take some tracks off and put some others on. But I think the thing is, there is clearly a demand to host Formula 1. You've just got to make sure you get a bit of everything in. And I think that's what Liberty could be doing more of. The Agora Drive move, I think, is a step in the right direction in terms of appealing to the better racing and appealing more to the purist whilst also i think giving still a sense of that destination agora the ski resort not far from st petersburg there's still enough you can make a destination there even if it's not exactly within the middle of the black sea resort of sochi but it didn't always seem the most lively race in terms of off-track entertainment anyway
0: um yeah i mean i think they're doing quite a good balancing act i think they were helped Last year, by a lot of races being cancelled. So, we went back to some of the more traditional ones and some like newer traditional ones, I guess, if you want (laughs) to refer to it like that. We obviously went to Magello. We went back to Turkey in the Nurburgring. Imola seems to be um, more fixed on the calendar now. We've moved back or moved to Portimao and we seem to be perhaps staying there for a few years. So, I do think that they're balancing it quite well. And I do think there probably is some behind the scenes discussion over an alternating calendar just because it makes i'd say it just makes more sense because you've got you've got places that can't afford to host races every year we saw that in the early 2010s when germany tried the model of switching from hockenheim to nurburgring every other year so i think that there probably is a desire for an alternating calendar but obviously, as we saw with Agora Drive, you can't really predict these things that Agora Drive came out of nowhere. And maybe we'll get an alternating calendar out of nowhere.
1: Who knows? I mean, yeah, the, the only thing I would say is obviously last year they got forced really into these tracks. If the pandemic happens, they would never, I think, have battered them with an either. Potent- potentially port him out. because there'd always been a clamour for port him out. But I don't think there would have been the same pressure to go back to places like Imola, to Mugello, to the Nürburgring they kind of got forced into it and actually they realized these tracks are really good. So we need to make more out of them. And I think that, that, and I think that was partly one of the reasons why 2020 was good in the end, because I think we got to realize why so many purists have been saying for so long that we need to be going back to these traditional tracks that really challenge drivers and the drivers love it more than anything else. So yeah, that alternating calendar is going to be key. And I think getting striking that balance more permanently, I think Liberty are moving in the right direction. I think what I would like to see is what happened last year. More sort of confirmation upon what happened last year being more permanent rather than we kind of add the races in as and when.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes that makes some, my throat is going. I'm not sure. I think I think it's hay fever acting up. Streps. Take some streps, you'll be sorted. To have, yeah, seems to have come back in the last uh, few days. But as you mentioned with the calendar. There is a new change to the calendar, and that is the return of Turkey. I mean, again, they they were scheduled to do a race in the. Um, I think it was going to be a few races ago, but then that got cancelled due to COVID. But the cancellation of the Singapore. I've oh got I should have done the research. Was it Singapore <laughs> that got? I know Singapore. Yeah, I've, I've, that I've, got, I've got. I've that got. That I've got. I've
1: got the calendar in front of me.
0: If you want so, me to like. So I think it was Singapore that got cancelled, and yeah. Turkey has replaced Singapore. Yes, know, so I that's think.
1: for the for the third of the first to the third of October. We're going. So we're going now from Sochi on the twenty sixth to Turkey on the third of October, and then m- probably there's still a bit of doubt about Suzuka, but the plan is at the moment to go to Suzuka on October the tenth.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it seems that this probably won't be the last change to the calendar. I can't imagine Australia will probably have their race. There,
1: there, there's Brazil. so much There's so much up in the air at yeah. the moment. The, so the big races, I guess, to watch out for in the second half of the season are um, Suzuka. Firstly, um, Japan are waiting till after the Olympics to confirm whether that race will go ahead. I think they will make a massive judgment based upon public opinion. If the public approves of how the Olympics has gone, there's not a massive rise in cases. I don't think that they will... They will go ahead, the race will go ahead. um If there is a rise in cases, if the public are kind of quite uncomfortable throughout the games, if the whole atmosphere of the games just isn't there, they won't go ahead with the race. I can just see that happening. Um, again, Kota, we should imagine the US Grand Prix to go ahead. The COVID situation is now a lot better in the US because Liberty being based in the US as well, I think is something they really want to go back to Kota because it's always a, a track and always a Grand Prix that delivers. Uh, Mexico: Some uncertainty still with the COVID there on the thirty-first into Lagos. With the way that COVID is in Brazil at the moment, there's no way that they can host a Grand Prix on November the seventh. At this moment in time, I think it will be interesting to see though. Can the situation improve? What do FOM say? Because it would be a shame to lose into Lagos from the calendar again. And then, of course, as you said with Australia, a lot of that's down to the quite the stringent regime that they have in australia that kind of they were granting that the government don't grant the exemptions which of course that's a debate in itself whether the governments should be granting exemptions but one thing they've consistently done is not grant or certainly not grant very nice exceptions shall, to put it to put it in that sense so for formula one it may not be there is talks with the victorian government but they are very very careful in australia and so there's a lot of doubt still over that
0: yeah and it could be a problem for f1 especially as a lot of these races are in the latter half of the calendar and if you do get to let's say your september your october time and these races start to pull out then there's not really much they could do we're going to mm. have to we either going to have to do a snow we going to have to put some chains on and chuck it around the Nürburgring, <laughs> ring or with some snow tires on all i mean you probably might see a return of the bahrain oval or P- possibly
1: oval. china is one circuit we haven't mentioned yet there's a that race has been postponed and not cancelled which suggests to me that that will be the next track to come on um thinking it could it would be an ideal replacement for Suzuka potentially if that drops off the calendar because there's literally very little difference to the distance to travel you just have to change your change your address um from turkey to go to shanghai instead of um to tokyo um The America's races logistically could be slightly more difficult to make changes there, especially just because of the distance, really, from the rest of a lot of the races going on. Um, But again, I think that's still up in the air. Of course, if Australia drops off the calendar, there's the big risk that they have at the moment is that from um, the United States Grand Prix on the 24th, there's a real risk. We don't have another Grand Prix scheduled until the race in Saudi Arabia on December the 5th. Uh, So if COVID affects all of the three races in that time, then they are going to have to find... And they've already scheduled a race in China for the 10th of October if Japan cancels. Then they're going to have to find some races, like you said, the Bahrain Oval maybe, I don't know, the Dubai Autodrome maybe if that's up for the calendar. They could probably get away with scheduling some races in Europe, Southern Europe in early November, so I don't know if there's a return to Jerez maybe or... Estoril, because I know, I think Esther definitely has got a grade one license if they wanted to go there. Maybe there's some other tracks as well. Um, burinam I think in Thailand, I don't know, is a track that's always gone well with MotoGP. Um, yeah, the Sepang wouldn't oh, that be amazing? Go back to back. Sepang in that time, yeah. So they have options, but it's not ideal and it will be harder to fill, I think, than with last season because a lot of the races that they would have already used to fill, they've already already filled elsewhere. So I think that will require a whole set of contract negotiations, particularly for new tracks. That will require decisions early. And I'm not entirely sure that they'll get those decisions early. And I think that could potentially be a headache come the end of the season.
0: I mean, I've always been a bit baffled why we're so insistent on having 23 races. Like, I know what you you mentioned, the gap, and we definitely do need to fill... Mm that gap but do we need some replacements i still think 23 is too much i think but
1: yeah personally 20 should be the maximum per season to keep the drivers and the teams in peak conditional season and it allows that opportunity to alternate uh, still very well for races but i think again these triple headers do take a lot out on the teams and so i think if they are going to lose a race lose the, the race in japan it wouldn't surprise me if, say, they said, well, we're going to wait on Australia, but we're if we're not comfortable, put, we'll just have a three-week gap between um, between Turkey and um, the United States. But still, when you're having these triple and these triple headers, even double headers, and you're then going to have three-week gaps between races, I, I think COVID has kind of disrupted the usual flow of the calendar. But I do think if they're having a lot, the way they're having all these races this season in a way that's a bit where it has these kind of these very sudden blocks of races, and then also some big a risk of big gaps as well. I do think FOM need to look into that going forward because the welfare of the teams, I feel, isn't necessarily going to be best served by doing this.
0: Yeah, but remains to be seen. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Maybe there'll be a well. What's after Delta, Epsilon? Uh,
1: yeah, know. I'm. I'm. I'm get, you see, your knowledge of the Greek alphabet is already better than mine. So yeah
0: it remains to be seen what will happen but looks like we have to preview the next race also in austria so there really isn't i mean we said it all (laughs) we said it all last week there's not much to say
1: it's convenient in it racing at the same track you know twice in a week of course ideally this would have been a race at either the hockenheim or the nurburgring and i'm not going to i think i've already had that opportunity to rant somewhere else you know, I understand obviously why you would want to have two races at the same track when you've already got the contracts. When it's a lot easier, but yeah, is I this is I, th- there are far worse tracks to have two races in a row at, and the Red Bull Ring is one of those. So if you said to me you're going to have two races there, I I take that.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, not really much else to say. So we'll have a look back on our previous predictions. All of well, mine was very wrong because. <laughs> Because I had hope I had hope for rain and you you
1: you they would have been wrong in a wet race anyway, Will.
0: No, they you were just gonna never, be I... right. They were gonna be a hundred percent right. I got so I got nothing, so I was the worst. You put Hamilton Verstappen Bottas, not a terrible podium.
1: I, I I I would say that I was I was going on the Mercedes were gonna respond this weekend, but do you know what? Red Bull have always historically gone well at that track, and I should have taken that into a bit more of consideration.
0: Yeah, and then you also said Russell points, so all Russell fans can go blaming you for... <laughs> can, can
1: I have a half... I feel I deserve at least a half point I don't,
0: I don't, I don't. I don't think we're, we're oh, organised enough it... to do points. You can have a, can have a <laughs> virtual pat on the back.
1: Thank you, thank You're you. You're welcome.
0: And then Ziga went Verstappen-Perez-Hamilton, also not terrible, and a big lap one collision. Which again didn't happen. I was kind of there. I mean, Gasly, it wasn't
1: necessarily multi-car, but some Gasly, crying Gasly, Pierre Gasly fans.
0: Gasly was trying to hit half the grid. He hit. Who did he hit? <laughs> he hit Leclerc. Was, well, Leclerc,
1: okay, Leclerc. I think was it one of the Alfa Romeos, and Giovinazzi, I think a
0: Haas and, as well. I know he hit Latifi. Latifi got a puncture. That was it. Yeah, being lapped on lap <laughs> four. I don't know, lap twelve or something. So. I mean, do you want to let's go for our predictions again? Maybe I'll go a bit more, a bit more reasonable bit, this time. Yeah,
1: um, I will say another, i can get my words out, another Verstappen victory. OK, I can't see any. I, I, I can't see anyone beating him at the moment. And I think when you have all the data that you've already got this weekend, and I think it's taken to the fact the last double header we had at Silverstone with a softer grade of tyres brought to that second race. And the way that Red Bull were much better nursing their ties as well. I think a little bit of past experience, I think, draws me to that. So again for first, Lewis Hamilton second again. I can't really see him driving to his I see him driving to his best, but just ultimately being unsuccessful. And then third, I am going to give it this week to Perez. Okay. I think he will this time in the Perez Bottas battle for thirds. I think he will edge it out this time.
0: Yeah, I mean it's hard to say because I I think Perez could be up there, up there, especially mm. with how good he is on the tires. Honestly, he's still got a bit of a pace difference to Verstappen. He's definitely a bit slower, but you think that with the tires, especially if we get something like a mid race safety car at some point, his long stints will come mm. good. He will get lucky, like he So we from Portugal, he went 40 laps. And if he had got a safety car, I mean he would have been at the front, and it would have been would have been quite a interesting race. So I'm still going to go for Verstappen first, just because right. I think just he's too. I think he is too strong. But I might go Perez second, and then Hamilton Ooh. third. I just, so you're I'd you're re- going
1: for the Red Bull one too? Then you're not you're not giving Lewis Lewis at least you know next no, best.
0: I think it could be like I mean well, we saw it in Azerbaijan. It would have been a Verstappen Perez. Hamilton mm. podium in all likelihood until their tyres decide to go bye bye. But <laughs> like, do you think Perez does have that edge when it does come to tyre management, and especially if we're bringing steps off the tyres, it could be, could be he could be up there, or maybe not up there, but it could be both.
1: Yeah. So basically, we're it's the same podium for the two of us. We've just put Hamilton and Perez in different positions. But yeah, I didn't. I had to be honest. I went on before I gave the answer. I didn't think of it in terms of the step tire the softer step tire working for Perez there but actually yeah that having that softer step tire the way Perez manages his tires in a race Valtteri Bottas just doesn't have the same tire management else in a way that both Perez or Hamilton indeed has as well so yeah potentially I think it could be closer between Verstappen and Hamilton if Hamilton and the way he works his tires comes out but yeah it will be I think it'll be Ham- verstappen and Hamilton, Paris. That's
0: how I see the podium going. Yep. And now we've said that. Congratulations, Bottas, on your win. Because <laughs> that'll just be how it works. Oh. I mean, do you want to do our big moment? oh we...
1: I'm on. thinking.
0: Predict, predict it again.
1: Go, I'm thinking. I'm, I, can't, I can't. I can't. I'm not going to do a George Russell one, although I think it could happen. I feel. I, I feel it's going to be slightly more sinking reality for um, Russell this week. This one isn't necessarily. a biggest of big moments but i think Shaw Leclerc is going to be the best of the rest behind the mercedes and the rebels all right this weekend right. i think he could he could potentially i wouldn't surprise me if he qualified in the top three and then in the race he was just similar to lando norris this weekend the mercedes and the rebels were superior but yeah Shaw Leclerc will be the best of the rest of the midfield this weekend
0: okay um oh, i don't know i do think how close was like,
1: very close.
0: It was. I think I might go for one of the big four out before Q three. Ooh,
1: that that is a that is a brave prediction.
0: One of them will like think they're gonna get through, and then has has has, with...
1: has any has any of them not made Q three so far this season? Um, I don't think they have.
0: Hasn't been a wet qualifying. That's...
1: No, that would because be Alex Alex Albon didn't always make. Q3 but I think this season yeah I can't recall them not so that you are a brave man.
0: Well I mean it's, it's not like this means anything but <laughs> I think it just seems because it's such a short track it's I think it is the shortest map time so far or I think mm. of the current calendar obviously if we get Bahrain out that will be the yeah. shortest but it does seem that because it's so close because there's only a few tenths in it uh, a quite sudden change in track temperatures and we've seen it before we've seen the track get a lot better or a lot worse on the second runs and you could get like i don't know a Hamilton or a Bottas or a Perez or a Verstappen thinking that they're through maybe on a, a decent lap but because they're bringing a step softer tyres they're going to want to go on the mediums they won't want to go on the softs because they'll degrade like super quickly so they'll try and go on the mediums and perhaps get knocked out by a George Russell or a, or a Sebastian <laughs> Metro or a Stroll or someone that's around well, the that area
1: well all I will say is that given the success of your predictions last weekend I would not be going down the bookies right now and making that prediction
0: I it's, it's I'm gonna be right at some point <laughs> one of one of these one of these really out there ones is gonna be right and I'm gonna really care <laughs> but yeah I mean I guess that that's it I mean thank you for thank you for coming on thank you for being a guest once again and we will be back in two weeks for the british, grand prix, british, next, british yeah. grand prix i thought it was a, <laughs> i was i know it wasn't the british grand prix but it was the two weeks bit two of, weeks of right?
1: all the of all the, i was going to say of all the races to forget you have you forget the one that, that we host but of course it one was, thing is that ho- i was gonna say one know, thing yeah. is hopefully though we will be um, but the race being the week after the Euros final, hopefully we will be having the British Grand Prix and also celebrating football coming home that weekend. Yep.
0: So Remember, right? well, yep, that's the message we leave you on. <laughs> it's coming home for both Hamilton and the England football team. But yep, Cam, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Really good to be back. Yep. And this has been a Raw Sport F1 special. I've been Will Kingswood and thank you for watching. All- We'll I'm